Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and I have with me today the lovely Rena Van Alst. Hi, Rena. How are you? Good. Thanks, Amanda. How are you? I am not too bad. I have had a particularly busy week, I have to say. I am preparing to jet off to Hamilton Island for the Australian College of Community Association Lawyers Conference, which will have been done and dusted by the time this goes to air. But having that week off means that the week before is just crazy. So that's where I'm at at the moment. Yeah, I understand the feeling. I'm actually going up on it to a conference up on the Gold Coast, which is pharmacy related. And um, yeah, I know yeah. the feeling. You've got to try and get everything done before you go. That's right. See, some of our listeners might not know that you were a pharmacist in a past life. Yes, I was. And, and you're now a director on a board? Yeah, of a pharmacy franchise company of the people that I actually used to work for 16 years ago. Wow. So it's funny how these things come around in circles. But I think doing my extra education, getting my master's of professional accounting obviously helped me in that area because now I've got a lot more knowledge on in terms of company law and financials and accounting. So mm. yeah, extra study does actually come in handy sometimes. <laughs> it sure does. Good on you. And we need more women on boards. So that's awesome. I know you're doing a great job there. Thank you. Okay, so your week in Strata, Rena. What has been a frustration for you this week? Yeah, so actually it's last week I had a call from one of the owners of a scheme that they want to actually come on board and join my company. But in the meantime, they're having problems. It's a bit of a two-faction executive committee, which, or sorry, strata committee, I should start getting used to that terminology. <laughs> and um, there's been some friction and a meeting was convened, the committee called a general meeting. And on the morning of the meeting, the chairperson, for some reason, decided to cancel the meeting on the premise that there was going to be another general meeting in two weeks' time to consider other matters, which were not related to the current agenda. Mm-hmm. And the strata manager was actually there and apparently all the owners were waiting outside and we, no one really knows what happened, but um, but I think the reason I'm actually raising this is not to do with that particular building per se, but it's more about a very general question that I think a lot of the strata managers receive and probably should answer and know, but what I found in this case, they didn't, and I think in other cases that's been prevalent, where the role of chairperson is actually now defined in the act to chair a meeting only, mm. and and that obviously includes, you know, declaring the validity of proxies, et cetera, but and when you're actually chairing, you've got to make sure that, you know, the motions are put correctly and, and the voting procedure takes place and then they're either carried or defeated. But what tends to happen, I think people tend to confuse the role of a chairperson in a strata scheme with the role of a chairperson in a, in a company, which mm-hmm. is much, much different. And usually the chairperson in a company usually has a bit more power in the older constitutions especially. So the strata manager should have not allowed that to happen. And a chairperson also can't convene a general meeting either. So the converse applies where they actually don't have the authority to convene a meeting, mm-hmm. nor do they have the authority to actually cancel a meeting. I um, mean, sometimes meetings get cancelled because of various reasons, but normally there's advance notice given to owners by email. Yes. So this is distinct from adjourning the meeting, which yeah. we know under the new legislation here in New South Wales, a chairperson can decide to adjourn a meeting in the absence of a quorum. Yeah or to proceed with the meeting. That is now the chairperson's call. What you're saying is this particular chairperson just went, nah, the meeting's cancelled. 
Yeah, basically, I mean, people still don't know what happened, but the Thrider Manager did turn up to the meeting and then people were told, oh, no, we're having another meeting in two weeks' time, apparently, mm. or three weeks' time, therefore, what's the point of having two meetings? When the committee had convened the meeting, yep. the, the agenda had been issued correctly in the right time frames, and and also in another matter I had recently, the chairperson decided just to issue an agenda and, and do the same thing. So, again, yeah. the converse applies as well. There's got to be a proper meeting or majority decision by members of the committee to proceed with an EGM or, and in, in some cases, if there's a reason why you would want to cancel it. I mean, I've had one that was cancelled in a scheme that I managed last year because of the fact that they wanted to raise more money than what they had previously thought. So rather than having another mm. special levy, just increase the special levy amount rather than having two lots of special levies. So I think that's where, mm-hmm. you know, that's obviously a good decision because in a sense, you don't want to have two meetings and and have two levies, but but on the whole, mm. meetings really should be cancelled by the committee and in this event, not by one person. Mm, very good point for both our chair people and committee members and strata managers to remember because they are there to to guide and to an extent advise within their skills and qualifications and that is something that a strata manager should be across. Okay, thanks for sharing that one, Rena. My frustration for this week... I have been contacted by a lot owner in a commercial building and she is a medical professional. She runs her medical practice from this building. And for a number of months, really since before Christmas last year, she has been experiencing problems with the air conditioning system. And there have been certain suites in her medical rooms that just haven't been getting cool air. And if you remember back in January, we had a few very, very hot days and she and her staff and her patients were really suffering. And she had contacted the Strata Committee to inform them that there seemed to be a problem. They had sent a couple of contractors out and the upshot of it all was that the entire system that services the building needed replacement because it's Mm -hmm. an old system and it was reaching the end of its life. Long story short, the strata committee did not want to consider replacement because that was going to be in the order of some $250,000. And the committee said that the reason they wouldn't consider it was because they were currently in discussions with a developer who wanted to purchase the building under the new collective sale provisions in our law here in New South Wales. And they said, why would we go and spend $250,000 upgrading the air conditioning system when we're just going to sell the building in a couple of years' time? A couple of years' time is the actual point of the whole thing. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. This lot owner came to me, of course, very frustrated, saying exactly that. How am I expected to sweat it out for two years? Don't they have some kind of obligation to deal with this? To which I said, absolutely, of course they do. Owners' corporations have a duty under the legislation, so we call it a statutory duty. It is a duty under a statute to properly repair and maintain the common property. And this air conditioning system is part of the common property. And they promptly got a letter from me setting out their duty and the reasons why I thought they were in breach of that duty. And the last I heard on this, they were out getting quotes to repair the system. Mm. So it's looking like that lot owner might be getting somewhere, but how frustrating that she had to come to me and have a letter sent and spend money on that Mm. to get her owner's corporation to meet its obligations. Yeah, I think under the new act now, there's actually more powers for lot owners to actually individually go to the tribunal when common property is not being repaired or maintained. But yeah, it's unfortunate that someone would have to 
feel the need to, to go to the extent of engaging a lawyer because they obviously don't feel they're being heard amended, which I think happens in lots of buildings where there's a mentality of, I mean, there's nothing wrong with trying to maintain costs and keep them under control. But mm. like you said, I'm sure if it was one of their suites that was being affected and their livelihood. See, the thing with commercial schemes I find is this is your livelihood. This is how you earn income. So mm-hmm. this affects your business. So it's not just a matter yep. of saying, oh, well, you know, can you put up with it? It's not like your home, which sometimes you mm. might put up with more things. But in your in your place of work, that's just definitely not acceptable. Yeah, absolutely. And the potential for there to be significant loss and damage suffered by this lot owner because she can't use her suites and she can't book in her usual appointments is quite serious for an owner's corporation because, of course, my letter said, should my client suffer loss and damage because of her inability to run her practice, she will be looking to the owner's corporation to recover that loss and damage. So (laughs) when committees are hearing those kinds of things, they do start to get a little bit nervous. But that kind of a statement is made with all sincerity because we have had to go down that path before. And as you said, when you've got commercial lot owners, they're the kinds of considerations that they're having to to bear in mind. Yeah, very true. Another interesting aspect of this particular matter was this issue about a future collective sale of a building and what happens where you have, for example, a Capital Works Fund forecast that says you should be raising money for these kinds of things and you should be planning for 10 years down the track. But what if you are in discussions with a developer who's looking like they are going to purchase the site, they're going to knock it down, they're going to build something else. It's understandable, I think, that lot owners would become concerned that they're contributing all this money to what end? And at what point do they perhaps get a refund of that money? How is that all taken into account? So that was a really interesting aspect on a different path about that collective sale process that I think buildings are going to be coming across, how they deal with that money that they're raising, but possibly never spending. Yeah, it's very interesting, Amanda, that you raise that point because I suppose the Act hasn't taken that sort of thinking or that scenario into consideration when they were drafting legislation. So Mm. I suppose in a sense, I mean, the money that's sitting there would be part of the overall end of the, the scheme assets. when it's terminated. Yeah, yeah, so it's part of an asset. So in, in a sense, okay, it's not an it would eventually get it back. But, you know, yeah. sort of, there's also the opportunity cost that I think a lot of people look at. So a lot of schemes will say to me, we don't care about the levy because we'll just, when the time comes, we'll pay, you know, 20000 30000 per lot if we have to. But we'd rather keep mm. the money in our accounts and, and work our money and, and get the benefit of that than, than putting mm. it into a, a fund. Yep. But at the same time, you've got to meet your legal obligation to yeah. prepare and to follow that forecast and get the money into the Capital Works Fund. Yeah. And I find that commercial owners, especially the big corporations that you know find themselves in, in part of VMCs and, and their strata and lot owners, they're the ones that really don't want to put money into capital works because they don't feel that they because the way that these companies work is that they only put what they need when they need it they can't just have it mm. sitting there so in a sense I've had that struggle with some of the commercial managers like JLL and Cushman and Wakefield and, that. and so obviously on instructions from their principles that we mm. don't want money sitting in a BMC sinking fund or capital fund we want to have access to that money now and then just contribute when necessary so you actually raise another sort of point that I hadn't mm. I just remembered about BMCs and, and the need for capital funds and things like that. So, Yep, interesting topic, that's for sure. Let's move on to what's been going well this week. Rena. what's your win? Well, last night, which was the 7th of March, by the time this goes to air, it'll be a few more weeks to go, but um, I actually was asked to speak with two other people at the um, City of Sydney Green Square Network. Right. And the topic was what to do when things go wrong in your strata building. 
And Love one it. of my committee members that I used to work with at Eastgate, Stephen King, he was actually speaking on behalf of a resident's point of view and he gave a fantastic and very thorough presentation. Mm, Stephen's been on the podcast. Yeah, that's right, for those that remember him. And then I gave a presentation in relation to the strata manager's role in that and then we had BAC insurance brokers that also attended mm-hmm. and, and gave an extra sort of added input with regards to insurance. But I think what came out of that, and I think it's good for, for me to share that with our listeners, is that first of all, people should look at their insurance policy and make sure it's adequate. And again, you'll need some advice from an insurance broker because strata managers aren't qualified or allowed to actually give advice in terms of um, what insurance policy a scheme should take. Mm. And also, I think the other thing that came out of that, which is another takeaway in learning, is for strata managers to make sure they have a very good database of contact details such as email addresses and mobile telephone numbers because Mm -hmm. when things go wrong and people can't get back into a building and you need to contact them, then that's really a hard thing to do if your records don't actually show those details. The other thing Mm. we talked about was elderly owners and perhaps when you do go to meetings and you do see them perhaps getting a next kin or their carer's phone number because at the e-scale explosion that we had in 2009, they were the most affected. And so it was actually good for mm. owners to sort of think about and strata committees to think about when you're sitting there at your AGM every year confirming your insurances to be a bit more proactive and not just sort of go for the cheapest quote. And sometimes the strata committees mm. have made that decision ahead of time. But in any event, I think it's important for people to question and, and understand what the policy is covering and and, you know, the detail, which is where the fine print is where it, it all sort of comes out and unravels when you, when you have a claim. Mm, absolutely. All good advice. Was it a big turnout there of, of mostly owners or? Yeah, we had about, about 35 people we had at Great. the library down there at Green Square. And we actually had some building managers that came to the presentation, which I think ah, is really good yes. because at least, you know, if they're involved, that also helps them to understand, you know, what could go wrong and, um, and Stephen King's presentation definitely showed everyone what could potentially go wrong, one of the sort of the case <laughs> scenarios of destruction in a single event. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, you've definitely had some hands-on experience there dealing with that yeah. explosion in 2009 in, in Bondi Junction here in Sydney. That was yeah, a big one. That was. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for sharing that, Rena. My win for this week, I want to share with you a little story about a community scheme. And it's a large community scheme here in Sydney. And I met with them recently and they were filling me in on how their relationship with the local council is going since they entered into a parking agreement. Now, these kinds of agreements are now dealt with under the Strata Schemes Management Act, our new act here in New South Wales. But being a community association, Mm. this particular scheme actually entered into one of these agreements, I think it's nearly two years ago now, or at least they started talking about it two years ago. And they got some advice from a different lawyer at the time, but I certainly agreed with it by the time they came to me that it was and it is legal for community schemes to enter into these kinds of parking agreements with local councils, even though it's not mentioned in the community schemes law, unlike the strata schemes law now. And so they went ahead and had a chat to their local council about handing over, essentially what you do is you hand over control of your community property parking areas to the local council. The council comes in, puts up signage, puts up markings, and essentially governs the 
parking within the community scheme to make sure everybody's parking where they should be and where it's permitted and everybody is parking safely and within marked areas and things like that. Now, it took a while to get the agreement together, to get the arrangements off the ground. We did have a challenge from a lot owner in NCAT, which is where I became involved, and we won that challenge. And just meeting with them recently and hearing that now everything's underway, councils, parking inspectors are there on the property and people have been, interestingly enough, falling into line. They have been parking where they need to be parking. They don't have the extent of the parking problems that they had 12 months or so ago and they're really happy with the arrangements. So that's just something I wanted to share with my listeners. If you are, whether you're a strata scheme and you're thinking about this now that it is expressly provided for under the new Strata Schemes Management Act, or you're a community scheme and you're thinking about doing this, it is certainly legal. As long as your council is on board and willing to enter into this kind of agreement with you, then it might be something that really suits your community and you get a great benefit from. I think probably it does work maybe better in community because they have more open spaces usually True. for um, parking and therefore it's more prone to be abused and therefore it's easier for councils to be involved on that level. So, mm. yeah, that's, that's a great outcome, Amanda. Yeah, so they're doing well. So I think that is it from us today. Anything else you want to add, Rena? No, all good. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. Well, enjoy your trip to the Gold Coast and I'll be thinking of you when I'm on Hamilton Island just next door. <laughs> Lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> See you soon. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today?